Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. My pronouns are she, her. This is the podcast where I spend a little time talking about what I have been reading lately. Please be prepared for spoilers. Whether you are a 72 books a year reader or a one book a year reader, thank you for joining me. This week's episode snuck up on me, which seems weird for something I have in my calendar and have been doing steadily for a few months now. There hasn't been a whole lot else going on lately, thanks coronavirus. I did start playing Skyrim again, though, so let's just blame my absent-mindedness on that, shall we? And let's not think about how many hours I've spent on it just this weekend. Instead, let's talk about our book this week. Today, we are talking about The Hero and the Crown by Robin McKinley. Here is the summary. Erin could not remember a time when she had not known the story. She had grown up knowing it. It was the story of her mother, the witch woman who enspelled the king into marrying her, to get an heir that would rule Damar, and it was told that she turned her face to the wall and died of despair when she found she had borne a daughter instead of a son. Erin was that daughter. But there was more of the story yet to be told. Erin's destiny was greater than even she had dreamed, for she was to be the true hero who would wield the power of the blue sword. I read the Kindle edition of this book between June 20th and 25th in 2020. This book was published in 1984. It is a young adult fantasy book. Our author, Robin McKinley, was born in 1952 and has written or contributed to over 20 books. She won the Newbery Medal for this book in 1985. Before we really start, I feel like I should put a disclaimer here that I really like Robin McKinley's books. She could write a thousand pages and I would read them, thank her, and ask if there were any more. In that vein, though, I must admit that reading her books can occasionally be frustrating for me to always be left wanting more of a story. The Hero and the Crown occupies kind of a weird place. It's a prequel to McKinley's first book, The Blue Sword, but it was written a couple of years after. I haven't actually read The Blue Sword, and I can't decide if that was a good move or not. There are some aspects of The Hero and the Crown that make me wonder if they would make more sense if I had read The Blue Sword first. But like I said, this could also just be an aspect of McKinley's writing style. The Hero and the Crown follows Erin, the daughter of the King of Damar. She hides for most of her life. She's not a princess locked in a tower, but she feels like she doesn't belong in her own home, even though she loves her country and her father. She sticks out in Damar. Her mother was from the far north, and Erin resembles her with pale skin and red hair, unlike the rest of her country. Our first chapter features Aaron going to her father and asking to accompany him as he takes an army to deal with dissenters on the borders of Damar. From there, we flash back to Aaron growing up. She has always felt out of place. She seems to lack the magic inherent in the royal family, and she's left mostly to her own devices. Her mother is dead and her father is busy as the king, so she runs a little wild, learning sword fighting and how to ride horses. And I cannot go through this review without mentioning Aaron's horse, Talat. 
Talat is an old war horse who was injured years ago and is so mean and crotchety that no one can ride him anymore. He has a field of his own and lets very few people near him. Erin decides she will make him her horse, and with time and care, she does. Erin has bonds with people, with her family and her nurse, but Talat becomes her best friend. Erin also, applying the same stubbornness that lets her befriend and ride a warhorse, spends these years figuring out the exact long-lost recipe for a dragonfire-resistant balm, something to cover your skin and armor in to protect yourself when facing dragons. Oh, did we not mention that there are dragons? Mostly, dragons are pests. They used to be much more common. They emerge and harass a town for a while until the king can send a troop of knights to deal with them. They're still dangerous. Knights who deal with dragons usually survive, but if they aren't very careful, they'll be horribly burned. There are legends of potions from the past that would help a person resist fire, and it's one of these old recipes that Erin finds and painstakingly recreates. I love her process. She spends years making tiny adjustments to the recipe and testing it very carefully before she finds the right portions and ingredients. When Erin perfects the fire-resist potion, she waits until there is news of another dragon. She takes to Lot her warhorse and rides to the town plagued by the dragon. She is determined to get there and defeat it before the knights her father sends can arrive. And she does. She defeats the dragon. All by herself. First time. She manages it. Barely. The potion works perfectly. But of course, dragons are more than their fire breathing. They also have teeth and claws and tails, and they're, you know, as big as a horse or bigger. Erin rides home, a little scared of what her father will say, but mostly she's proud of herself and her accomplishment. Erin knows she cannot ask for permission to do the things she wants to do. She would be bound by politics and tradition to stay in a specific role as the king's daughter. Through learning to make this potion and slaying her first dragon, she makes a new place for herself in her father's court, one she fits and is proud of. She's a dragon slayer. This book does a very good job of creating a realistic court and explaining the power struggles inherent in their political system, which sounds extremely dry, but it's done very well. You're not left wondering why Aaron isn't the heir to the throne despite being the king's only child, and why some people view her with suspicion and fear. You know why her cousin is jealous of her. It has some to do with posturing and rivalries between women, but mostly it has to do with power, perceived and actual. Erin mostly stays out of court when she can, but she understands it because it's the world she was raised in. As Erin learns how to defeat dragons, we learn that this is a land in flux. Magic and dragons and other magical beasts used to be more prevalent, but have gradually faded. People don't remember old legends or stories anymore, beyond a few things. The potion to resist a dragon fire has been forgotten, but they remember the legendary hero's crown of Damar. It has been lost for generations, and now the kings of Damar go crownless to symbolize that loss. When the hero's crown was in Damar, it allowed the king's great power and kept people safe. 
There's a legend that when the crown was around, any sword drawn in anger would rebound on the air and twist out of the wielder's hand, falling to the ground. Which sounds pretty useful to me. But now, magic is returning. Dragons are becoming a more frequent problem, and there are rumors of demons running amok to the north. Along the way, as we learn about Erin and about her country, we also learn about her relationship with her cousin Tor. Tor is her father's heir, and he is the one who teaches her sword fighting, and they have an easy camaraderie. It's become awkward between them of late, as this book begins. There's an unspoken thing between them. I liked the way this was done. As readers, we know they're in love, or at least Tor loves Eren and the characters know it, but it's not discussed openly. Just like the characters who won't speak about it, the words on the page leave it unspoken for a long time. Now, a hundred pages later, we return to what we started with. Eren, who we now know to be a capable warrior and proven dragon slayer and stubbornness personified, is asking her father the king if she can go with him on a potential military campaign. Despite Eren's accomplishments, she is left behind. But before the king and his army leave, a citizen rides in with news for the king. Mawar the Black Dragon, the likes of whom has not been seen in hundreds of years, has returned. The king cannot go, and he cannot send his army, and he leaves, promising to deal with the dragon when he returns. After the king has gone, Eren promises she will ride to defeat the dragon. Eren tried doing things the right way. She asked for permission to accompany her father, and she did it in front of the court, which she hated, so he can see how serious she is about it. If she asked in private, he could deny her request with no fuss. Her request is denied anyway. So she returns to the methods that have worked for her in the past. She does what she feels she needs to do without asking anyone's permission. She rides out to face the black dragon, alone except for Talat. Fighting a dragon by yourself is not easy, especially an ancient dragon like this one. Eren defeats the black dragon, but is nearly killed in the process. It's customary to take a trophy from a slain dragon to prove you killed it. In a haze, nearly dead, Eren reaches into the remains and pulls out a glowing red stone. She pockets it and thinks no more about it. I'm sure that won't come back later. She makes it back to the capital, thanks to stubbornness and her loyal horse. What follows her defeat of the black dragon is months of illness. Eren doesn't seem to get better, no matter what anyone tries. Eventually, fading away, she has a dream about a man who says he can heal her. With no other choice, Eren crawls out of bed and manages to get on her horse and out of the city. She recovers, and it takes almost a year and the help of the strange man from her dream. He is named Luth, and he knew her mother. He's able to answer some of the questions Eren and the reader have had this whole time about Eren's mother, about magic, and about Eren's real destiny. It's a good thing she had all that practice going one-on-one against big magical threats like dragons, because there's an evil sorcerer who needs to be slain, and Eren is the only one who can do it. Luth gives her the legendary blue sword and sends her on her way to kill the sorcerer. 
The summary makes a pretty big deal about the legendary blue sword, but in this book, honestly, I think Talat the Warhorse plays a bigger role. Probably the blue sword would have seemed more significant if I had read that book first, but I sure didn't. So learning the real story of her mother helps Erin come to terms with who and what she is. She spent her whole life half believing that her mother was a witch who bewitched the king into marrying her and then died of despair when she bore a daughter instead of a son. That's a really difficult story to carry around about yourself. If you know what the truth is, you can keep that in mind as others spread rumors, but Erin has only known what others have said of her mother. Luth reassures her that her parents loved each other, but her mother was weak from opposing the sorcerer in the past, so bearing a child was too much for her to survive. Erin sets off to find and defeat the sorcerer and manages it. It's that kind of book. She struggles through magical enchantments and monsters. She recovers the hero's crown, the legendary crown of her country that I mentioned earlier. Luth meets her and helps with cleanup from the fallout of the sorcerer's defeat. He mentions that she could combine the hero's crown with the red stone she took from the black dragon's remains. It would make the wearer of the hero's crown basically invincible. An artifact like that would be a huge help to her country. Aaron, showing a great deal more common sense than Luth, refuses. There's a great exchange here where Luth, a near-immortal magician, tells Aaron that she's letting her past negative experiences with dragons color her answer. Aaron replies, yes, I am letting my own experience color my answer, which is what experience is for. She knows there's no way that every king of Damar will be wise enough to use this kind of artifact well, and even if they were, its mere existence would be a temptation for others to try to steal it. She gives the stone to Luth and tells him to hide it. Her great destiny fulfilled, Aaron returns home, a hero, triumphant, returning with a lost, legendary item, having defeated a great threat to her country. When she arrives, however, she finds her home under attack. She arrives in time to deliver the hero's crown to Tor and to stand by her father in his final battle. Eren finally gets to go to war with her father. Damar is saved, but the country is struggling. They had been at war almost the whole time Eren was gone. After her ordeal facing magic threats, she comes home and puts in the work to fix the mundane things in her country. In the end, she marries Tor and becomes queen of Damar. When Erin was recovering with Luth, along with her mother's history, she discovered the rest of her heritage, including the magic she thought she didn't have, and something else, something the book describes as not quite mortal. In the end, Erin settles into being queen and forgets some of her fantastic adventure. Or not forgets, but they're not so present. She doesn't think about them all the time. They sort of fade. It helps her to be present and to love her husband and her country instead of focusing on magic and being, you know, technically a little bit immortal. Erin has finally come into her own as a person, a magician, and a queen. She hasn't forgotten her roots, though. She still occasionally sneaks off to slay dragons. 
My final word on The Hero and the Crown is it's very good. I love Robin McKinley. A solid, solid fantasy book. Probably you should read The Blue Sword first, though. If you want more media like this, I suggest you read Tamora Pierce, especially her song of the lioness and protector of the small quartets. And that's it. That's all I got to say. Join me next time to hear about polar bears and fairy tales. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, was reading this before the blue sword the worst thing I ever could have done? You can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to talk with you again soon.